If you have your Bible with you today, we invite you to turn to our text, which is found in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. 1 Kings, if you just open your Bible to the middle and make a left turn, you'll, you'll find 1 Kings. The words will be on the screen as well. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah the prophet, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've decided, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that it may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that way that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the, di- until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did it as, as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many of you are probably involved in some club or group or once were involved in a club or group. I remember in high school I was in the Latin club and in the marching band. And then as we look around the church, there's a choir. You all are a group, a community group. We have Sunday school classes or community groups in our church. And then uh, others of you may be in groups in the community, such as the Rotary or Kiwanis. Some of you may be in a quilting guild. Others perhaps in the garden club or the women's club. Some of you may ride motorcycles And you are in a motorcycling club. Um, Others of you may be in a pool league. Some of you play bridge quite regularly. I understand that playing bridge is where a lot of things happen around this church. A lot of uh, business or a lot of neat things or ideas are generated as people are gathering around playing games and enjoying fellowship and community. Uh, It's important that we are connected in in groups as we relate to each other. God created us to be in community, not only with God, 
but with one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love neighbor as yourself. Love God, love neighbor. We are created to be in relationship. It's important that we who are in the family of God are connected in smaller groups. It's really challenging to develop relationships in a large setting like worship where we come and gather as God's people. So churches like ours have opportunities throughout the week for people to connect in smaller environments. I believe that it is true that churches grow larger by getting smaller. Churches grow larger by getting smaller. You know, a lot of people want churches to grow, don't they? We want churches to grow. We want to reach more people and to see people baptized and to come into the fellowship of believers and to get connected and to experience the fullness of the life that God has desired for us. But the problem with that is the more people that come to be part of a church, the larger it gets and the harder it is to know people. I've had people say to me, in, over the years of ministry and here as well, we like a smaller church because you can get to know people. People know your name. But the challenge is when more and more people say they like a smaller church, it grows and it gets bigger, right? Hence the need to connect people in smaller groups so that we, we continue to help people grow in relationship. The church grows larger by getting smaller, A study was done in 2014 of some 25,000 megachurch attenders. These large churches have figured this out, that they grow larger by connecting people in smaller groups. Some 60% of people surveyed said that they were in one or more small relationship kind of groups and that religious education and spiritual formation were the top top two that that people experienced the most. And then the others were recovery groups, fellowship groups, and so forth. And that their spiritual growth was largely attributed to being connected in a smaller group. There are a number of ways that you and I can connect in smaller groups here at HRBC. Out at our welcome centers, you'll find this pamphlet that has all kinds of information about our Sunday school and community groups here. And I encourage you to check one of these out if you're not currently plugged in uh, to a group. I am convinced that people grow and that people learn more about Christ and become more and more like Jesus when they are around people who share the same values in smaller settings. Here at HRBC, we want your opinion. We want your feedback. And you'll see in your worship bulletin questions for response. Much like we did last Sunday around worship, this one is focused on connectivity in small fellowship groups. There'll be a few moments toward the end of the service for you to share some of your thoughts. And we'll hand those to the ushers as you leave. And over the next couple of months, our staff will be going through your responses to seek God's vision as we move into the new church year. Here at HRBC, we believe that Christian community is vitally important to every person, small and older, young and old. We believe that Christian community is life-giving and it is life-saving. How many of you have been going through struggles and you have found hope in your small group? 
How many of you have experienced anxiety or depression and someone in your small group has been there and they have reached out to you and that has been life-saving to you? How many students have found help and hope in a student ministry group and their student pastor or other leader has come along and helped them through very turbulent times in middle school or high school? We believe community groups are life-saving and life-giving and life-saving. And we also believe, if you're taking notes, that we are better together than we are apart. I find that to be true. And if you've been part of a community group, you know what I'm talking about. Perhaps there's no better Christian who embraced this life together than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer devoted his entire life to the Christian community. Born in Germany in 1906, he became a Christian theologian who had influenced the likes of Martin Luther King Jr. and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. A Lutheran pastor, Bonhoeffer adamantly opposed Nazism and actually took part in an attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler. In 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested and ended up in a concentration camp called Flossberg. And on April 9th of 1945, before the Allies came in and liberated the camp, the Nazis executed him. We look back at the life of Bonhoeffer and the teachings of Bonhoeffer and the writings of Bonhoeffer to help us to understand the value and the importance of Christian community and how it can be a, not only a local but a global force for good. It was during his life that he got together with 25 other pastors and came to a, an understanding of true Christian community. And it was out of that fellowship that he had with those other pastors that he wrote his book, Life Together, where I've drawn the title for today's message. And if you haven't read Life Together, it's a great read, and I would commend it to you. The very first line in his book is from Scripture, Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasing and how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Bonhoeffer writes, so between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible, in visible fellowship with other Christians. It is a privilege for us to be together in fellowship. And many of you have firsthand experience of what true fellowship is like, especially in times of crisis. I'll never forget when my stepfather, who died four years ago, was going through Alzheimer's disease. He, he suffered for, for six years with Alzheimer's. And my mom was his primary caregiver. And her church stepped up in a tremendous way. People from her church came and sat with my stepdad so that my mom could go to the store or she, she could run errands. The elders from her church, Presbyterian, came over and installed some new lighting to help where my stepfather spent most of his time. I can't begin to tell you about the meals. And then when he passed away, how there was just a flood of compassion from my mom's church. And as a pastor, 
I told her pastor how grateful I was that my mom was in a caring church and that she was in a strong Sunday school class who ministered to her in a significant time of need. Many of you know exactly what that is like. And if, you, if you're new to us and you're not, you're not familiar with that kind of fellowship, then stay around and you'll see what I'm talking about. The story that we read a little earlier about the prophet Elijah is one of the most touching stories and well-known when we think of what it means to exercise hospitality. Elijah first appears in 1 Kings 17. He's not a prophet that has a book after him like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, but he's one of the most important prophets to have lived. He is the one that Elijah, that John the Baptist was similar to, and he is one that people often thought Jesus was as Jesus came, that he's Elijah, and Elijah was with Moses and Jesus at the transfiguration, so Elijah is a very important prophet, and he was called in such a time when the kingdom was divided, and the king of Israel, Ahab, an evil king, led the people of Israel to a more pagan focus where they worshiped the god of Baal, And people all over were caught up in this pagan worship, and they had strayed from the ways of God. So God sends Elijah first to east of the Jordan and teaches him how God would provide. And God provided by sending ravens to Elijah. Ravens, birds deemed unclean, by the the way. If you were around a raven or touched one, you would be ceremoniously unclean. But God fed Elijah meat every day through these ravens. God often does extraordinary things in ways we don't understand to meet our needs. And after providing for Elijah in that way, the water dried up there where he was. And then God led him to the place up in the northwest called Zarephath. And this is a Phoenician capital city known for trade, known for exporting goods like wine and grain and oil. But this city was also Baal's territory, Baal meaning the pagan god of storm. And the people thought that when Baal, when it rained, that he was present, but when things dried up, that Baal had died. And Elijah is called to share with a widow there that the god that he worshipped is the living god. Not like Baal, which would come and go, but God was the living God providing life and who sustained life. So God leads Elijah to this city, and he goes. And at the same time, he instructed a widow to come and supply him food. So Elijah goes to Zarephath. I imagine he arrived very thirsty, very hungry. And at the city gate, he sees a woman gathering sticks and... Gathering sticks was for a fire where she would try to bake some bread for her and for she for her and her son. Her son was likely with her helping gather the sticks, and perhaps they would be able to make some small cakes to eat. Elijah calls to the widow and asked her if she could bring some water in a jar for her to drink. And She starts going to retrieve the water, and then he says to her, Oh, um, by the way, ma'am, would you mind bringing me some bread to eat as well? I've been traveling for days, and I have nothing to eat. I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty. Well, the widow responds, and I imagine she just stopped. 
And she may have said, look at me. Can't you tell that I have nothing? As surely as your God lives, I don't have any bread. Maybe she meant, your God lives, but my God has died, and there is no rain here, and this is a drought, and I am destitute, I have nothing, and I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. There is no way that I can provide for you. My son and I are gathering sticks that we might go home and use what little that we have to bake bread, and this is going to be our last meal. We, we will die. And then Elijah says, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first bake me a small cake with what you have and then bring it to me and in the same way bake some bread for you and your son for this is what the Lord of Israel has said. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord gives rain. And Elijah says the Lord is going to bring rain, not Baal. You can't count on that. But my God is going to bring rain. And the bread and the oil, that, the grain and oil that you have now will not run out until my God brings rain to this parched land. The widow went away as Elijah had said, and the jar of flour was not used up, and the oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. Again, God uses the most extraordinary and unusual way to minister not only to Elijah, but also to this woman and her family, both of whom were foreigners. Elijah, a foreigner in that land, and she as well. They were foreign to each other, if you will. She would have been financially destitute, unable to care for herself and her son and other, perhaps, children. Widows would have been considered um, among the poor like orphans and others who were struggling and destitute. I imagine she was devastated and experiencing depression because of her circumstances. And yet it is Elijah who turns to her for sustenance. She who has scarce means is instrumental in providing a plan, God's plan, to provide for others. And Elijah is able to tell this woman that God will provide until God provided the rain. This story reveals the truth that God is a God of life and God provides. And God also provides through community. And there are some learnings that we can take away today as we see how this story applies to us now who are Christians in this century, in this place, in this time. The first gleaning is with God a little goes a long way. A little grain, a little oil. And God multiplied it, and it went a long way. Despite her depression and her destitution, the widow makes a place for hospitality, and as a result, she and her household are fed for many days, as is Elijah. And Elijah had to trust God. Like Elijah, we can have a chance to trust in God's abundance to believe that God will meet our needs, even though things are scarce. With God, a little goes a long way. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Number two, we cannot fully experience God's provision and goodness in isolation. 
neither the widow nor Elijah were able to have a full experience of God's provision in isolation. They needed each other. It's an amazing component of the story. The oil and grain only meet the needs when they come together in a small group where there are people who are connected, who engage in relationship together. Together they discover the power, the amazing power of the one true God. Time spent in small groups and in fellowship reminds us that we are always better together than we are apart. Christianity is not a religion to do in, in isolation. It is a relationship with God and with one another. And the last thing that's important to remember is when doing life together, congregations move from being transactional, as one writer says, to relational. Transactional to relational. Transactional congregations treat guests in such a way that the guest will bring higher attendance, more money for the offerings, and more opportunities for the church to grow programs and build buildings. The ABCs of church growth, if you will, attendance, buildings, and cash. Often churches can get caught up in that mentality. It's transactional. It's something you come and you give us something and we'll give you something in return. And I'm thankful that this church does so much that, sh- that disproves that. That this church is about relationship and about mission and about serving and about caring and loving. Worship, love, grow, serve. Uh, Many of the things that you all have done for a long time and continue to do as you serve the community and beyond are not things that would derive additional income or growing membership or building more buildings. You do them because God has called you to them. And we do know, however, when when we are obedient, that God's going to bless the church. But we do what we do out of relationship, not about how much more we can have and how build, big our buildings can be and how many programs we can carry out. Relational congregations are churches where guests are accepted, fed, and supportive because they are signs, the guests, they are signs of Christ's presence, not because they give the church some kind of advantage. Relational churches help people connect with God and with one another. So I hope that you'll find connectivity here at HRBC. If you're not in a group, I pray that you'll find a group. I pray that God will lead you to the right group and that you can grow together as you do life together. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, so we thank you that you've shown us a model of doing life together and how in this story it took Elijah and this widow to help each other. And God, we pray that you would help us to help each other in the same way, knowing that you will provide if we just show up and be together. God, I pray that there is one or more today who doesn't understand what it's like to be in a community group 
that you would lead them to take that next step of finding a group that will meet their needs. God, we pray that there may be one or more today who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and that you'll take, help them take that next step of faith to make a decision to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to be baptized and to begin life anew in the church family. God, we pray that others who might have been visiting for a while might take that step of saying, yes, God, I desire to be part of what God is doing here. Lord, that you would have your way as we gather together and respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our song today is, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus 